Acts 11, 19 to 30. The Church in Antioch. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This, um, this day, right in the, uh, the middle of the Pan Am Games in our city, um, as the schedule would have it, uh, Donna Dong is uh, here to share God's word with us. Donna is uh, the director of, uh, curiously enough, multi-ethnic, <laughs> multicultural ministries uh, for InterVarsity uh, Christian Fellowship Canada. And uh, Donna is known to, uh, to many of us uh, at Knox Church and uh, I hope you'll welcome her when you have the chance a little bit later. And uh, also, for those of you who uh, may not know Donna, I encourage you to meet her and to, to introduce yourself uh, to her. Um, and so we're going to, uh, we're going to pray for her um, as she brings uh, God's word. Please join me as we pray. Father, we thank you for your servant. We thank you for 30 years of faithfulness and ministry. And we pray that you would continue to light the fire of your love and light the fire of your mission in Donna's heart. We pray this morning that um, as she shares with us through your word, that uh, you would speak to us, um, that you would draw us, and that as uh, she gives this ministry, that we pray that you would speak to her about your love for her as well. Thank you for your word, which is alive and which draws us into relationship with the living God. Help us never to take it for granted and help us to become more humble, listeners of your word, servants of your word, and participants in the love that is behind the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Thank you, Paul. <clears throat> I do confess that it's, uh, uh, the, the nations are on my mind a lot, and you know, that is part of it. It's my job, the being a multicultural ministry director for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. So I have to say, I do kind of go through life and my ministry with that particular lens. Like, I, I, I always am interested in seeing, like, who are the people around me? And from what backgrounds do they come? So I think it's been with me uh, for a long, long time, partly because I am a, uh, a third generation uh, uh, Chinese uh, North American. So I think my own cultural background, heritage, kind of a, uh, in Star Trek terms, a kind of a parallel universe kind of uh, life growing up that way. Uh, it, it, I come by it honestly. I have to say, when in the midst of the time period of the Pan Am Games, uh, I, I'm with a, a friend who managed to get tickets to opening night, and it was superlative to be present uh, and see the parade of the nations, uh, the Pan Am Games kind of march in. Uh, I felt like I was so proud of the Canadian, basically the Canadian audience, multicultural as it was. Uh, you know, we, we rooted for the small countries that had maybe like three athletes, as well as the huge countries, including our own, but Argentina and some of the other large countries. But I feel like the nations of the, of the world have been on my mind, but they've been on God's mind and on his heart for a long, long time. This morning, I want us to look at this passage in Acts that just says something about the heart of God uh, for, for people. Uh, in the narrative, in the storytelling of the founding of the early church, the, the early believers, early followers of Jesus, we really have a narrative that goes from the heart of Jerusalem uh, where there was a festival, Passover, that was celebrated, and there were Jewish people from Jewish backgrounds out of diverse countries and, and nations and cultures. They were Jewish uh, by, by their belief system, uh, Jewish uh, in heritage, but they lived from all these different parts of the, of the Roman Empire. They were gathered together in Jerusalem. They were together, and they basically experienced the, the uh, coming of the Holy Spirit on them and what is often called uh, uh, the Pentecost, Pentecost the, the birth of the, the, the Christian church, the birth of this Jesus movement uh, as the, the, the word about Jesus' resurrection, about the plan of God uh, to redeem and to restore and bring back together all the families of the earth. This humongous plan of God's love from the very beginning of time up until this period. You know, it, it was consummated in, in, in Jerusalem. And then, and then the story goes on, basically, that with the risen Jesus, people were kind of saying like, oh, you know, is this the time when the kingdom of Israel is going to finally get to kick butt, you know, and, and really be fully restored? And Jesus says, forget about that. Something else is going to happen. You're going to be witnesses for me. Not only here in Jerusalem, but there's going to be a wave, and it's going to go out uh, to uh, Judea and Samaria. And then uh, I love this kind of terms uh, that was appropriate to the Roman Empire, uh, to the ends of the earth. 
okay, to the, the extreme reaches of the, of the Roman Empire at, at that time. Okay, so what we have in, in the storyline of the Acts of the Apostles, when we come to verse, uh, chapter 12, is that there was a persecution that arose and a scattering of those believers that had been gathered for this Passover festival in Jerusalem and who had become believers of Jesus. So there was a Jesus movement that had begun and was consolidated very strong in Jerusalem. So there got to be a scattering of this Jesus movement of people uh, beyond Jerusalem. And so the story just goes out that they, were, they got scattered. Now, when we pick up the storyline, I want us to just this morning kind of look at the, the Jesus movement of God, and we're going to call it the Church of Antioch that develops, and then we're going to follow a little bit of the, the narrative, the story. I want to go over parts of it, and then I want to do some reflections about, about this for, for us, us who are visitors and members of Knox Presbyterian Church uh, right here on Spadina. Uh, so follow with me. Uh, it's, it's at this time... Um, that the, uh, the church gets, uh, the church, uh, at, at those who are scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, they travel. They go as far as Phoenicia, which is to the far north of, of, uh, of Jerusalem. They go to Cyprus, which is an island off the, uh, uh, the, the in the, uh, uh, Eastern Mediterranean area, and then Antioch, which is situated in Syria. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible kind of movement outward. It's an incredible scattering. Uh, it is from this passage that the idea of a diaspora or a scattering or a dispersion of people has moved into, in some sense, uh, Christian missiology, the study of missions, the idea of the scattering of peoples, diaspora peoples. Uh, it's uh, picked up in secular press too, the peoples of the diaspora. So this passage talks a little bit of that dispersion or scattering. Now it's interesting that this scattering of Jesus, uh, of Jesus people, uh, as they go out into the other parts of the Roman Empire, uh, specifically to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, the first thing we hear about them is they told the message. They told the message of the gospel. This gospel about Jesus, the risen Jesus. And behind that, God's plan to restore all of the, uh, all the human families of the earth, as it were, to himself. Um, they, they told this message only to people of their own background, to, to other Jewish people. Uh, and it says, and yet, at the same time, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, that is, Jewish people, but who had grown up um, from, in other parts of the Roman Empire, not Jerusalem, not in Judea. They were scattered in the other parts of Rome. They would be like Canadians, you know, some of some who you, you say, you know, at one time in my family ancestry, yes, I think I have family who came from Europe and different European countries or different Middle Eastern countries or whatever, but I'm Canadian now, kind of, that sort of thing. So that's what we have. We have men from Cyprus and Cyrene who were Jewish in their beliefs and who have become followers of Jesus, uh, Jesus believers, part of this new movement of Jesus. But, they, but culturally, 
they were from these other parts. Uh, and it says that they were the ones who, as they got scattered out from Jerusalem, from that Passover feast, in which they experienced and heard the good news of the risen Jesus Christ for themselves, they began to speak. They began to cross over cultural and ethnic lines, and they began to speak to the Greeks, Greek-speaking people, in other words, non-Jewish people, about the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. Now, I, I don't know if you feel like that's a natural thing that happens. Uh, this crossing of ethnic and cultural boundaries. I just think that sometimes it doesn't always happen. So I'm a little bit amazed that this happened. Um, we, I, I, but we should take this story very seriously because it pictures a world that we who, who, who live in the GTA are very familiar with. It is a world of diasporas, of the movements of people. So the Roman Empire was filled with communities after communities of communities of people from different origin, different ethnic origin, different, uh, as, as it were, kind of national origins, and they were scattered or moved about in the, in the larger Roman Empire through things that sound very familiar to us. Wars, conflicts, famine. Um, in our day and age, we find that we have people who have moved because of economics. Uh, we have people who, because there are better jobs in certain other countries or in Canada, people have moved and become a part of this phenomenon of the 21st century, which is that of global diasporas. People on the move. Whole mass populations of people, segments of populations on the move. Uh, the United Nations uh, uh, had, had put out a report that documented, I think it was about five years ago, a report that stated worldwide about nine times the population of Canada, uh, there are nine times the population of Canada of people who now live and work in the world apart from the place that they grew up in or were born in. That's a 21st century phenomenon. Up to this century, we have not seen this massive numbers of diaspora peoples. And so when I, I it was because of the diaspora nature this difference of multicultural peoples and, and, and really Canada's uh, kind of pride as a country in its, the multicultural makeup of its people, that's what drew me. That was a part of God's call for me to come, that I responded to, to come and, and, and minister and work with students and young people in Canada because I wanted to see what God was doing among, among multi-ethnic, multicultural peoples. Uh, I know what God wants to do because we see it already here in this, uh, in this Acts uh, account. We, we see that we do, he, he, he desires that his invitation into his kingdom go not just settle in one people group, but go to all, 
all peoples, because all peoples matter to him. He is their creator. We have to kind of step outside of the narrative or the storytelling of Acts of the Apostles to something like Ephesians to get a feel for God's plan in this, okay? Uh, in Ephesians, Paul writes that about God's plan set forth in Christ, a plan for the fullness of time, and that is to gather up all things in Christ, things in heaven, things in earth. He goes on further in Ephesians 3. Paul says, you know what? In former generations, this mystery or this plan of God was not made known to humankind as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And that is that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, the non-historical people of God, uh, the, non, the, the Greeks, uh, the Gentiles, they have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and shares in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Uh, Paul, as he described his, himself praying about this mystery of Christ, he says, I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom every heaven, every family in heaven, and every family on earth takes its name. So behind this movement of God, this Jesus movement, the spread of the gospel of Jesus from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, as it were, to the ends of, to the reaches of the Roman Empire, is this plan and understanding that God claims himself as the source, as the creator of all the families no matter tribal association, language spoken, national ties, no matter whatever, the creator God says, it's from me. Uh, come every family in heaven and every family on earth. So that's the world view, as it were. That is the sense of God's purpose of restoration that stands behind this story. It's a momentous thing that happens here, I think, in Acts 11, where some people who are, I think, in the midst of the kind of wild and sometimes random feeling of, you know, why some people move here and have to work over here and away from the place of their origin, all of that, in the midst of the randomness, it feels like, of global diaspora, God is working a purpose out, and it looks like among the Jesus believers, there was that first tendency, of course, uh, a part of the Jesus movement to think like, well, let's just, you know, it's, let's carry on. Let's carry on the way it has been. But among some who'd had a, a kind of grown up in the midst of global diaspora phenomenon, I, I think their, their impulses were, were broader or they, you know, they were kind of used to the awkwardness of mingling and doing business and living life with people from other uh, communities and other backgrounds. And it dawns on them as they get scattered out that this message this gospel message of Jesus isn't just for their own families and for people out of their own communities, but it can go and cross, cross, the, uh, cross some boundaries. 
of ethnicity and culture. They start sharing with their Greek neighbors, the ones that they do business with, that they buy stuff from at the marketplace. Um, uh, the, the, you know, in our society, it would be people that they went to school with. They do all kinds of things. They rub shoulders uh, as neighbors, but from different backgrounds. Um, I think it was amazing when I first arrived in Canada uh, 13 years ago. I just thought, oh my goodness, there's no way that I do business within just a, a solo... Well, I can. I, I can do that. I can kind of live... Uh, I grew up with some Chinese, for example, who uh, lived and worked and, uh, for a lifetime in San Francisco Chinatown. I knew a family uh, friend who, that was his life, uh, if that makes sense. A little silo existence. But here we see that in obedience to Jesus, that they had a precious message about Jesus, they go broad. They go broad, and I think they just wind up sharing life and the biggest news of their lives with their neighbors. <clears throat> um, I want you to see that this Jesus movement that begins to develop in Antioch isn't second rate. It's not second class. It's like, it's not a diluted form of Christian faith because it goes to another people group. Are you guys with me? I look at it and I think, oh my gosh, it has all the robust symptoms of life as Jesus meets this group of people from non-Jewish backgrounds. They don't have the years of history of, uh, of a Jewish religious foundation and, and a worldview from the Old Testament uh, uh, in their foundations. But they're young. They're young believers of Jesus. And so when the church of Jerusalem hears about it, I love this about the early church. They said, oh my gosh, it looks like God has taken hold of some people out there in Antioch in this other part of the Roman Empire. We need to send them some help. And so they send them the best man they have. Uh, he really is the best man. His name is Joseph. But the apostles nickname him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, because he seemed to be that kind of a man. This passage in, in Acts says that he's a godly man, full of wisdom. Just the kind of godly. It's just, he just... Is, is the kind of man who recognizes, apart from formula, he's able to spot God working in the lives of people. And he just, you know, he just, I don't know, blows on the flames, as it were. He, he just increases the robustness. So he comes and he hangs with them and he, he uh, provides training and more teaching. And then he thinks, no, no, it's not good enough. I don't care. I'm going to bring Paul or Saul. And so he gets reinforcements. And there's this lovely picture of the mutuality, uh, uh, the, the support, the rendering of real life, uh, life on life, present, relational support uh, that Barnabas comes, he brings a Saul or Paul into the picture and it says that this church is grounded in God's word for about a year. 
You know, can you imagine taking, you know, our, our best people and saying, here, we want to give, it, give them to this community because we want them to experience the fullness of God's story in their midst. Um, I love this. This is a very robust church, very robust followers of Jesus. Didn't get diluted in the translation. Did not. Holy Spirit is with them. The Word is with them. And part of that is because God's people, uh, the whole Jesus movement, help one another across ethnic and cultural difference. Isn't that incredible? I love it too that the story goes on to say as they hear through uh, some prophets who come from uh, uh, Jerusalem that there is this incredible famine that's going to cover the whole earth, i.e. Roman Empire. Um, the, the church in Antioch, this new baby Jesus movement in Antioch, they respond and they say, oh my gosh, uh, they're wealthy. Uh, Antioch is the third largest city in the Roman Empire, following Rome and after Alexandria. It's the third largest. So I think it had a certain amount of wealth. And they said, oh, famine is coming. And indeed, historically, we do have documents that indeed there was a time of famine during the reign of Claudius, the emperor. Uh, well, these believers, this new Jesus movement in Antioch, they gathered their belongings and say, you know what, we've got to send it. We've got to send help to our poor brethren who are in Judea and in Jerusalem. How Luke, the writer of this account, he says, you know what, the hand of God was on this group. Hand of God. It's a robust church, really alive. They believe the word and then they lived out the word. And some of that robustness was how they cared for each other across ethnic and cultural lines. You may have a church in Jerusalem. You have this church, as it were, in Antioch. But there was mutuality. There was connection. There was care. There was connection. It was alive. Um, in fact, they... they <laughs> I think they got so, such a reputation for the kind of lifestyle they had that they were called Little Christ. It was a nickname given to them by the uh, uh, Antiochian uh, society. They said, oh, look at these people, Little Christ, you know. Uh, kind of like political parties. They like, oh, those who followed Caesar were called oh, Caesareans. Those who followed Herod, they were called Herodians. And they said, ah, oh, these people who followed Christ. They're Christians. They're Christians. Okay, nickname. It's endearing to me that this nickname stuck with them. Uh, it's only used twice in the whole New Testament. But uh, I grew up, I became a Christian in Berkeley at a time when uh, uh, there was this uh, 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 awakening among young people. And people referred to all of us as, oh, those Jesus freaks or those Jesus people. Uh, and I actually still like being called one of those Jesus people. But here's this church, obedient to Jesus. They took the word seriously for themselves, and they thought, ah, 
needs to go outward. And in that, they were perceiving something larger about the purpose of God. To unite, to reconcile all the families of the earth together. I'm going to spend five more minutes and just talk a little bit about what I want us to be obedient to this vision. Love for us to do that. When I look at my own life and I think, why am I slow about this? Because uh, I, I, sometimes I can drag my feet. I realize um, it's so as simple as this. I find myself sometimes in the midst of crossing some ethnic or cultural um, difference. I find that I just don't want to endure the uncomfortableness, the awkwardness. Are you, are you guys with me? It's sometimes there's just like, if I speak to this person, will they understand me? If I listen to this person who is from Ghana, will, will I understand them? It just happened when I was at camp last week. Uh, there, there's this uh, man who was serving as a nurse at Ontario Pioneer Camp. And he was just trying to tell me what his profession was. And I could not hear it. I, I just, how he spoke it, how he said the phrase, what he, he was saying. I thought, you know, somewhere around the third time after I said, excuse me, I, I didn't quite understand. What did you say? Um, and he said it for a third time. And I thought, okay, I am now ready to pretend that I understood Okay, I'm just going to say, oh, is that right? Oh, you know, cool, so neat that that's your profession. You know, I, and I thought, no, 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 don't do that. Be humble, okay? You didn't get it. So I, one more time, fourth time, I don't know when you stop, okay, asking for repetition. Is it around the four-time mark or the five, fifth-time mark? Anyway, so I said, what do you do again, please? I, I'm so sorry, I just, I can't hear you well. He said, I'm a nuss. I said, nurse, oh, thank you. You know, I was grateful that God did some translation work in my head, and I, 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 I heard him. And then we had a fun and a reasonable conversation about his profession, which now I understood. Are you guys with me? I think it's the little things that keep us from obeying Jesus and sharing his word. We're scared to be awkward, uncomfortable, uh, but think how much the world opens to us when in our interactions with our neighbors, we learn not only like knocking at our neighbor's door and saying, can I borrow some sugar from you? But we've also learned to say, can I, can I actually borrow some soy sauce from you? Or can I borrow from, you know what I mean? We just, the world opens up. And we will have been listening to Jesus and sharing in God's plan which is that his love would go to all the peoples of the earth. The peoples of the earth who have moved and are our neighbors, no matter what background, here in the GTA. Men and women of God, as God's people were dispersed from Jerusalem, some went with the good news to only their own people. But there were some among them that also went to the Greeks. And the people of God 
had their hand on them and they multiplied and became a force for God's plan and for his kingdom in the midst of global diaspora peoples. Amen.